An 89-member delegation from the Czech Republic, led by the country's Senate president, Milos Vistrichil, arrived in Taiwan on Sunday. Vistrichil is the highest-ranking Czech official to ever visit Taiwan. Aside from seven other senators, the delegation also includes the mayor of Prague, academics and business representatives. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu met the delegation at the airport where Vistrichil and most of the delegation members wore masks that display the Taiwan and Czech flags. China, meanwhile, has expressed its outrage over the visit, which will last until September 4th. Czech Senate President Milos Vistrichil waved to the cameras as he and his delegation landed in the Taiwan Taoyuan International Airport on Sunday morning. As part of the epidemic prevention protocol, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu forsook the usual diplomatic handshakes and instead greeted them with friendly elbow bumps. Arriving in Taiwan makes us feel particularly happy. The masks worn by the members of the visiting delegation and Taiwanese officials were printed with the flags of Taiwan and the Czech Republic to symbolise the two nations' friendship. The masks that my wife and I are wearing were donated to us by Taiwan when we were in the midst of the most serious coronavirus epidemic. The delegation has adopted a diplomatic bubble mode of transport. They arrived on a China Airlines charter flight and will travel around Taipei in private vehicles, overall taking routes that separate them from the general public. Once they leave the venue, it will be disinfected immediately. Not only did the Czech delegation have to submit to COVID-19 test results before boarding their plane, they also had to undergo a second round of tests when arriving at their hotel. On Tuesday, September 1st, they will be tested once more. On Monday, the second day of their stay, there will be an event aimed at matching up Czech and Taiwanese enterprises. And then Vistrichil will give a speech at National Jinju University. On Tuesday, he will address the Legislative UN. In the afternoon, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun will act as his tour guide as he visits the National Centre for Traditional Arts in Yilan. In the coming days, he also plans to visit the Executive UN, the Ministry of Science and Technology and local businesses. He's also expected to meet with President Tsai Ing-wen. Tsai welcomed the delegation in a Facebook post, while Vistrichil also expressed support of Taiwan before he departed Europe. Our visit to Taiwan is a show of our support for Taiwan's democracy because the way Taiwan strove for democracy is similar to that of the Czech Republic. The friendship between Taiwan and the Czech Republic is not without critics. A spokesman for the Chinese embassy in the Czech Republic lambasted Vistrichil for disregarding Sino-Czech relations and pushing through with his Taiwan visit with his own personal political calculations in mind. This seriously interfered in China's internal affairs, the spokesman said. In response, Legislative Speaker Yo wrote on Facebook that this spells bad news for China. No country will end well if it is a power that makes an enemy of Czech public opinion. 
Two prominent DPP politicians rumored to be interested in vying for Taipei mayor in 2022 shared a stage at a public event Sunday. Enoch Wu, a rising star within the DPP who serves as the deputy head of the New Frontier Foundation think tank, ruled out for the first time in public the possibility of a mayoral run. The other, Zheng Lijing, a former culture minister, was not so specific, saying only that she had made no definite plans at the current juncture. Former culture minister Zheng Lijun attended a summer camp jointly organized by the American Institute in Taiwan and the Forward Alliance, an organization initiated by the DPP's Enoch Wu, who was also present. The pair were asked if they had plans to run in the 2022 Taipei mayoral elections. I think instead of talking about my next step, we should be thinking together about Taiwan's next step. Presently, I've been reflecting on my 30 years of experience, from a student activist, to think tanker, to opposition legislator, to my experience governing in the two terms of the ruling party's administration. I will sort out my thoughts. Currently, I've not made any plans. I will not run for mayor. The second thing I want to mention is what former Minister Zheng just spoke about. She said over the long term for the past 30 years, she has worked hard for the public. I believe this is something everyone can see. I will support any plan the minister may take next. In Zheng's presence, Wu stated for the first time he had no plans to run for Taipei mayor. But besides Zheng, whom analysts cite most frequently as a likely contender in the 2022 race to be head of Taiwan's capital, other names in the DPP, including Minister of Health and Welfare Chen Shijong, Jilong Mayor Lin Chang, and DPP legislator Wu Siyao, have all been bandied around. Shanghai on Sunday reported three new imported cases of COVID-19, including one from Taiwan. A Taiwanese passport holder had tested positive while undergoing quarantine after entering Shanghai on August 27th. In response, Taiwan's Central Epidemic Command Center said the person in question is a longtime resident of the U.S. who only arrived in Taiwan on August 4th before heading to China three weeks later. Therefore, it's quite possible that the person had contracted COVID-19 while in the U.S. CECC spokesman Zhuang Renxiang also said starting September 1st, the nucleic acid tests for COVID-19 at Taoyuan International Airport would be switched from taking throat swabs to deep throat saliva tests. This will be easier on passengers as all they'll have to do is spit out throat saliva into a collection box without having to endure the discomfort of a deep throat swab. The new method will also reduce the required number of medical staff on hand. Typhoon Maysak, which formed east of the Philippines, is continuing to move northward. The Central Weather Bureau says the storm will likely intensify and become a severe typhoon, but it won't head directly for Taiwan. Sea warnings are unlikely to be issued. The typhoon will come closest to Taiwan in the period from the second half of Monday to the first half of Tuesday. Northern and northeastern parts of the island will probably experience heavy rainfall from Wednesday onward after After the storm leaves the region, southwesterly winds will likely bring scattered showers and thundershowers in central and southern Taiwan. Lighthouses were once mysterious places off-limits to all but a privileged few. They played a critical role in guiding boats at sea. 
Today, with GPS and other positioning technology, lighthouses are not as indispensable as they once were. But they remain to this day an important record of Taiwan as a seafaring island nation. Today, in our Sunday special report, we meet up with veteran lighthouse keepers for a tour of Taiwan's maritime history. The splendid summer sun slowly sinks below the horizon of the coast of Cape Fugui, reflecting off the sea in an intoxicating sunset. Having seen what they came for, visitors slowly prepare to return home. But for lighthouse keeper Wu Junhao, the day is just starting. Normally, after we arrive at 4 p.m., we start maintaining the surroundings. We see if there is anything the visitors need. If they're fine, we just wait until 6 p.m. to close up. After we close the gate, we lower the flag. Dusk, when day turns to night, is Wu's busiest time of the day. In the short span of several minutes, he must clean up the lighthouse grounds and then race against the setting sun, rushing to outpace nightfall over the sea. He lights up the lighthouse, creating a bright beacon over the land. In terms of our nighttime operations, turning on the light is our most important task. Before the sun has set, we go and light the lighthouse. For example, if sunset is at 6.30 p.m., we get the 10 to 15 minutes early to make sure the light is operating correctly. If there is no problem with it, then we keep it lit until daybreak. Driven by a series of gears, the light fixture occupies the entirety of the lighthouse roof with its massive lens. Little by little, the radiance emitted by this crystal lantern replaces the sun for nearby vessels, helping them point out the way. Fugui Lighthouse can project light over 24.8 nautical miles and can light up a 50-kilometer radius. The lighthouse can focus its light to project it farther or over a wider radius to allow more boats to find their bearings. In the dead silence of night, it's life as usual at Fugui Lighthouse as it quietly protects fishing boats at sea. As early as 200 years ago during the Qing Dynasty, Taiwan had its first lighthouse. This pagoda-like building sits on the shore at western Penghu County's Xiyu. The seven-story tower was called the Xiyu Lighthouse back then. Why was it called a lighthouse? There was a light up on its roof, so it was called a lighthouse. The earliest towers here were based on Buddhist stupas from India, so it was also referred to as the Siu Stupa. The Siu Stupa was completed in 1778 and has been there ever since. At the same time, they built a temple for the goddess Matsu, where the person responsible for lighting the tower lived. So really, the earliest lighthouse in Taiwan was inextricably connected with a Matsu temple. This gourd-shaped stone installation is a relic of the Xiyu Lighthouse and was its light fixture. At the end of the Qing Dynasty, the lighthouse keeper at Xiyu would have used peanut oil to keep the tower lit. However, the light emitted from such a light would not have been very bright. Therefore, in the dangerous waters off the coast of Penghu, accidents at sea were not uncommon. In fact, many accidents occur at sea off the coast of Taiwan, near the Sabo Islets. One time during the reign of the Guangxu Emperor, there were roughly 1,000 soldiers aboard a steamship that passed by and hit a patch of coral and sank. 
roughly 800 of them drowned. This was a major historical incident. It was similar to incidents at places like Dongying Island and Eluanbi, where they built lighthouses only after major accidents occurred. So in Taiwan, there were many lighthouses built in response to accidents at sea. For centuries, they helped boats at sea find their way home. Lighthouses have evolved with the times, their lanterns growing always brighter. In the beginning, they used plant or animal fat oils as fuel. They later switched to using petroleum and then kerosene. Then, in 1879, electric lights were introduced, thereby replacing the traditional burning of fuel oil with electricity as the main source of illumination in lighthouses. Cautiously attending to this lighthouse's lens, 73-year-old lighthouse keeper Yo Ihua reaches into the lens inner chamber, meticulously wiping down every corner of its surface. To him, this lantern is just like his own child, requiring his unconditional care and attention. He knows this lantern can never burn out. It can never stop shining its light over the sea. We have to perform maintenance on it once a week. This light is 1,500 watts. The light it emits is really bright. This bulb is the main light, and this one is the backup light. If the main light burns out, the system will automatically switch to the backup. Just like this, it will activate automatically, switching over to the backup. For the latter half of his life, Yo has devoted himself to the lighthouse. At 34, he was assigned to the Fugui Lighthouse, and he moved there with his family of six. In this roughly five-ping living space, Yo clearly remembers crowding together with his whole family to sleep in the cramped quarters. Yo's two youngest daughters were both born in the lighthouse. Every three months, Yo was sent to man the lighthouse on Jilong's remote Pongjiayu. Every time, he was required to stay three months. Since Yo spent half a year away from home, his daughter had already entered elementary school by the time she was aware of her father's existence. I came here in September 1982. In 1983, I was sent off to Pengjiayu. She'd call me dad one minute, and then I'd be sent off to Pengjiayu the next minute. I'd be a stranger to her again upon my return. In the early years, few people were authorized to enter lighthouses, and most of the time, Yo found himself alone. Sitting in the lighthouse, he would stare out at the vast expanse of ocean, the sea and sky one color, seemingly blending into one. After some time, even the stones on the islet began appearing as turtles to Yo. This is a turtle. It looks like a turtle when it's crawling. Look at it and tell me if you think it looks like a turtle. Those two eyes were drawn on there by me. It's either looking at the sea or looking at the mountains. It's because I took on this career that I see things in this way. Unlike most lighthouses that are painted white, Fugui Lighthouse is along Taiwan's northeast coast where fog is often thick. Therefore, it was painted in contrasting white and black to increase its visibility. 
Aside from this, it is also equipped with a fog whistle to help guide vessels in thick fog, preventing them from running aground along the shore. When I first started, coincidentally, we were experiencing thick fog. Bai Shaowan was also invisible. We sounded the fog whistle. The fog was really thick. That first night, I couldn't sleep. I'd never heard a sound like that before. There was one time I saw that the security monitor was completely white. I thought the camera was broken, so I ran out to take a look. The situation outside was such that you could stick your hand out in front of you and almost not be able to see your fingers. I really couldn't see in front of me. Poor weather conditions are one of the greatest challenges that face boats coming into harbor. Today, with technology such as security monitors, lighthouse keepers are able to be one step ahead in checking outdoor conditions and are able to respond to conditions immediately. But high technology doesn't prepare them for everything. Well, I was on night shift one night, there were lots of mosquitoes, so I went to close the side door, and I was really certain I closed the door. I went back to work, and then suddenly I heard the door slam, which greatly startled me. I was wondering who opened the door, but I didn't see anyone, and there was no wind, and there was nothing going on. However, the door really was opened, so the rest of the night I didn't dare touch it, I just let it be. Fantastic stories about lighthouses add to their mystery, but even when shrouded by lore, this century-old Japanese-era lighthouse retains its original purpose of protecting passing vessels. Of course, because ships today are invariably equipped with GPS, lighthouses aren't quite as important as they used to be. The story of their evolution through time, from changes to their lighting systems to the shape of their structure, is a valuable record of Taiwan's maritime history and of the progress of science in architecture. For example, look at Pongjiayu Lighthouse, where you can see a large main light. Lights like this aren't manufactured today, so the value of lighthouses has slowly changed from being one of function to being one of cultural history. Today, Taiwan has 30 lighthouses, which represent Taiwan's nature as an island nation. They symbolize the relationship between that nature and the maritime industry their best years behind them, the veil is slowly being lifted from these once mysterious lighthouses, their true face being shown to the world. With their subtle and quiet beauty, lighthouses have often been the subject matter of writers. From one angle, I see lighthouses as being white, just like the guanyin of my memories with her white clothing. If you're surrounded on all sides by darkness and then you see a lighthouse at night, you'll think this is protecting the land, protecting us. Poet Ling Yangming has lived in Taoyuan for more than 20 years, and Bai Jia Lighthouse in the city's Guaning district holds a special place in his heart. For Lin, this lighthouse is more than a landmark. It's a symbol of the special connection between the land and the people. In ancient times, people would say to find your direction, you should look at the stars. Well, this lighthouse is like a star on Earth. As a new day begins, Wu climbs the lighthouse and slides the curtains closed. This lens can concentrate light and refract it. When it reflects the sun's light, it creates a lot of heat, so we close the curtains to prevent the reflected sunlight from starting a fire. 
As the sun shines brightly during the day, Fugue Lighthouse silently waits behind the scenes. But as soon as the sun sets, it proudly takes its place on stage, shining its brilliant light across the sea, a warm and steady light that leads us home. The newborn daughter of Yuan Yuan, the giant panda at the Taipei Zoo, has finally gotten a name after an online vote conducted by the zoo. In Chinese, Yuan Bao literally means Yuan's precious one, but it's also a homonym that means gold ingot. The zoo hopes the auspicious name will bring good fortune in the time of COVID-19. As the father of the child, Tuan Tuan did the honor of revealing the name of his daughter. She's called Yuan Bao. I specially brought him here to see this. The name sounds quite auspicious. That's cute. It's quite a cute name. After pulling down the banner, Tuan Tuan seemed to recognize his daughter's image on it as he exuded fatherly love. In the naming contest, the name Waji came in third, and Rorol, a term of endearment she acquired at birth, came in second. But in the end, it was Yuan Bao that took the cake. This name goes to show that after many years of hard work we put in here at the zoo, we finally have something very precious. Despite the impact of the epidemic, the economy is developing smoothly. We can still make the money we should be making and we are safe. So Yuan Bao carries such connotations. Sunday was also Mother Yuan Yuan's 16th birthday. Since she and husband Tuan Tuan's birthdays are just two days apart, the zoo has always held a joint birthday celebration. But since Yuan Yuan is still receiving postpartum care, this specially made icy birthday cake was for Tuan Tuan's exclusive enjoyment this year. The concept behind the design was Sweet 16. It's supposed to give a sense of a cosy family. The two circles represent Yuan Yuan and Tuan Tuan. If you put them together, you get an infinity symbol. Due to Yuan Bao's young age, she won't be making a public debut until the end of the year. Meanwhile, Tuan Tuan was busy playing with his cake and the banner containing his daughter's picture. This exclusive birthday party was one that he apparently enjoyed.